Let's bow our heads and go before the Lord. God, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that you will reveal yourself to us. That you will allow us to be nourished upon the truth of your word. Help us to see our Savior for all that he is. Lord, I pray that the preciousness of Jesus Christ will be our treasure now and forever. That all the ways of this world, both the good and the bad, when compared to who we are in Christ and what we have, it all will just be rubbish to us. Oh God, I pray that we will cling to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us to see not only the tangible, temporal things in this world, but help us to see the eternal and to put all of our focus, all of our effort to what is eternal. God, I pray that your people will be renewed today. That we will be preserved and have the endurance to keep on this path of life. God, we can't do it. We can't take a single step without you doing it for us. And so God, I pray that you will give us that strength. Give us that will to keep going and looking to our prize, our Lord and Savior. God, if there's anyone in this room who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that you will have mercy on them, God. That you will help them to see Jesus Christ for who he is. And that they'll be saved. God, we pray for the Sheikh in Pakistan. God, last week we prayed for them in India. And Lord, we've learned there's some in Pakistan also. Over 12 million, almost 13 million people trapped in Islam. God, our prayers the same for those in Pakistan as it was in India, that you would save them. That you will send forth missionaries, maybe men and women from this fellowship, who will go and share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. God, that churches will be planted among the sheikh in Pakistan, and brothers will preach the gospel, the whole counsel of God boldly, to your people, regardless of what may come. That your people will be fed. That the lost sheep will be found and will come to the green pastures of your holy word and be safe in refuge with our great shepherd. God, we pray that you'll be with Rob Stevens this morning as he brings forth your word to Alethia College Park Church. God, I pray that that fellowship will be nourished today because of the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you for our ministry partner with Pioneers USA and friends we have who are ministering in places we can't even talk about. But Lord, you know them. You know their needs. You know what they're facing. So God, we pray that you will answer their prayers. You will give them what they need to keep going, knowing that it's all for Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it. It's in your name. Amen. As we have now entered the season of Advent, the season of waiting and preparing our hearts for celebrating the birth 
of our Savior, we have seen that on that first morning in Bethlehem, it was no accident. It was not a restart. It was a fulfillment of a divine plan that was established and began in eternity past. A plan where God would temporarily shadow His incomparable glory so that the greatest display of His glory would be seen in His grace given through our Lord Jesus Christ. For His people to be cleansed of sin and made anew in His holiness so that they can be with Him in His love forever. Last week we saw that this was a covenant made among the Trinity between God the Father and God the Son, a covenant of redemption where the Father would send His Son and the Son would accomplish the rescue of His people and God the Spirit would seal it. He would make it permanent. There was an eternal plot between the Father and the Son and the Spirit for the salvation of the elect. By the decree of God, Jesus Christ would carry the great work of salvation upon Himself and become the way of repentance and forgiveness. And simultaneously, justice and punishment would be satisfied. A work so climatic that both love and holiness are upheld and gloriously demonstrated. See, there's a people who in and of themselves are not worthy. All of us who are counted among God's people, we, we are that people who are not worthy, but we've been given a great gift. We are freed from the bondage of sin and are promised new life, a life filled with joy and peace and love. And how we have become God's people, how Christ has rescued us is essential. It's super important to see what it is that He's done for us. It is a work that only God could do. And it is a work that is finished, it's complete. It's a work that needs to suffice for people like you and me. It needs to be a work that cleanses people of sin and vindicates the absolute supreme worth of God. It is necessary, it is necessary then for Christ to be both God and man for this plan to come to fulfillment. He is not one and then he becomes the other. He is not God, and then He becomes man, and then He goes back to being God. He's both. It's the hypostatic union of God and man. He is truly God and truly man. A great song played at Christmas time is Handel's Messiah. The great rendition comes from the book of Isaiah in chapter 9. It speaks of the dual natures of Christ. Where there are, for several seconds, there are male singers and there are female singers and they're going back and forth between the verses of Scripture. And I think it's the women who are saying, for unto us a child is born. And the men respond and say, unto us 
a son is given. And then together there's this great crescendo with both singing and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is both divine and human. He is the way of salvation. What I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is for us to just bask, to just sit and revel in the glory of our Savior and to see the dual natures of Christ as fulfilling the divine plan of redemption and grace-filled glory. And not just be students, not just know about this reality, but to understand it and to cherish it, to see how precious it is, to see the true worth of what it means for Him to be both the Son of God and the Son of Man. You see, if He's not one and the other, if He was not born with human nature, if He was not pre-existent in eternity with the Father, then salvation is just not possible. The true church has always taught this, that Jesus is both God and man, that He was both divine and He had a human nature. Yet He's one person in the Trinity. He has always existed as God the Son, and He's equal, He's co-equal with God the Father. He's not a created being, yet He was born as a child in stable in Bethlehem. Unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. This has become quite a controversy today. Since the days of Christ's earthly ministry, there have been heresies as to the nature of Christ. In our text in Matthew, the Pharisees couldn't put it together, although they were students of the Scriptures. People have a hard time seeing Him as both God and man and understanding the significance. You see, they're left out of what Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am, to see My glory that You've given Me because You have loved Me before the foundation of the world. Only those who accept Jesus Christ as God and man can behold His glory. Only those who the Father has given to the Son are going to be with Him where He is. This is huge. Being with Jesus Christ in eternity is looking at Him and seeing that He is the God-man. He's the very essence of God, being eternal and sovereign, almighty in power, full of glory and holiness, and in the same person humbling Himself, having our nature and becoming flesh and dwelt among us. This is what the divine plan is all about. It is this rock-solid truth that the church is built on. And it's the only source of grace and future hope that we have. It is vital for the Son of God to be born a man, and not just any man, to be born the Son of Man, 
the promised Messiah to live a life among His creation and fulfill the divine plan. Let's look at whose son He is. Because ultimately, what you and I must answer this morning, what every person alive must answer, is what Jesus asks in Matthew twenty-two forty-two. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? Right after Jesus tells the Pharisees that the greatest commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Before they could respond to that, Jesus asked them this question. Whose son is the Christ? Whose son is the Messiah? Now to a people who were expecting the Messiah to come, he was, he was asking this. Picture Jesus standing here after giving the greatest commandment. He's talking about give God everything you have. And there's this group of Bible scholars right in front of him. Before they could even respond to that, he's saying, who is the Christ? Whose son is he? They were expecting the Messiah to come. To those who read the Old Testament Scripture, there was no doubt who the Messiah was. He would be King David's son. He would be a descendant of his family line. And that's why the Pharisees answer, and they say he's the son of David. And Jesus says, how can this be then? How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? How is he his son? No one was able to answer him. No one can put those things together. None of us can connect those dots without God's grace helping us do that. You see, the answer to that question, who is the Christ? Whose son is he? The answer to that question is the difference between religion and relationship. It's the difference between life and death, between hope and despair. You see, this is not a multiple choice. There's, there's not a multitude of answers that you can put together here. God's plan of salvation has distinct parts and characteristics to it that God's people that we stand on, that we depend on, putting all our faith and our hope and trust in the One who is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. First, on Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Meaning He's not born of the Father, He's begotten of the Father. He's of the same nature as the Father. He has no beginning. He has always existed with the Father. Jesus makes it very clear when He says, I and the Father are one. The Son and the Father are one. Not separate beings. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is called the Son of God. This is one of the great claims of Scripture. This is one of the great claims that those who are against Christ, who do not believe, this is one of the main things that they'll point at and say that can't be true. But it's one of the biggest claims in Scripture. Listen to a few passages that make this claim. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And you can look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. 
Hebrews 1.8. But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews writer is referring to the Son. After the resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas was questioning who it was who suddenly appeared before them, Jesus told him to put his finger in his nail-pierced hands, to take his hand and to place it in the side where the spear cut him. And Thomas responds, My Lord and my God. John tells us again in 1 John 5.20, We know the Son of God has come. Not only does the New Testament claim that He's God, Jesus proves that He's God. He performed signs and wonders when He was on this earth. His time of doing ministry for three and a half years. They were not to make lives prosperous in this temporary fallen world. It wasn't to give us temporary ease and comfort. His signs and wonders showed that He had divine qualities. He has the ability that only God does to control the universe. That He alone is God. Earlier in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus knew what the people were thinking when He forgave the paralyzed man of his sins. They didn't have to speak. He already knew their thoughts. Only God is omniscient and only God knows our thoughts. He's the image of the Father, the exact imprint of Him. Everything about God is seen in Christ. He's Creator. And remember that. He wasn't just there with the Father at creation. He is the Creator of us all. He commands and sanctifies as God. He is to be obeyed as God and worshipped and adored as God. Why is it important for Jesus to be God? Why is it important? Because only God can save. Only God can save. Someone who is a person like us can't save us. Only God can satisfy and atone for sin. Because the only thing that would appease God's infinite wrath, the only thing that that God would accept as payment for sin is a sacrifice that has infinite merit and worth that will appease His infinite wrath. Only God has that infinite worth. And only God can make that infinite payment for sin. The Messiah has to be God. So He can bear the great burden of sin for us and not be crushed by it. And this is what God promised us in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you will, turn there with me, please. Chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. It's page 259 in the church Bible. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a covenant with King David. And He promises him that his descendant would reign in a kingdom that would never end. Beginning in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now look at verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The immediate context of 2 Samuel is referring to King Solomon, David's son. This is David's son who was king right after him. But ultimately, it's referring to the son of David who became known as the Messiah. This is because in verse 13, God says He will establish His throne forever and Solomon died. This king would continue to rule without end. God would be His Father and He shall be His Son. Do you remember what the angel told Mary when the angel came to her and announced to her that she would bear a son? You shall call Him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. The Messiah, the promised one who would come and save God's people would be the Son of God. And the angel continued with Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God. The only one who can save His people from their sins. See, what you and I are faced with is that the the enemies of God are too great for you and me to overcome. No man can beat back sin. We can't defeat our own sin, let alone anyone else's sin. No man can overcome death. No person can be crushed. No person can crush the head of Satan. Only the power of God can do that. And there's no one like Him. Jesus is... God. As He is God, He's also the Son of Man. He was born as man. He walked and ate as man. He wept and suffered as man. And He died as man. Now in Jesus' day, the Father, in the family, the Father was the great person. You you were known as the, the son of your father or the daughter of your father. Here in Matthew 22, Jesus is saying that David himself, and he's telling all of us that his descendant, a human being of his royal line, would be more prominent than David was. He would be greater than King David, yet he would be from his lineage. Jesus is not inferior to David. David himself speaks of him as Lord. The Pharisees don't have an answer as how this can be. Jesus is no ordinary man who comes from another person and has this great lineage. The Pharisees knew that the Messiah would be the son of David, but Jesus is pointing to something even greater. He always refers to himself as the son of man. That's the title that Jesus always used when he was speaking of himself. And this is not just talking of his, of his humanity, but what he's doing when he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
and he speaks of himself with that title, the Son of Man, what he's doing is calling himself the Anointed One, that he's the Messiah, the Christ. The Pharisees were expecting someone who would be a great warrior king like David was, making conquests in Canaan. But for Jesus, being the Messiah meant being the Redeemer, the one who would die for his people. Only a creature dies. God does not die. The Pharisees misunderstood the relationship between David and the Messiah. They could not connect the dots. They're not expecting God to be in the flesh and die. He would be a descendant, but not in the way that they thought. God the Son became a man so He could live the life of a man and then take man's punishment. We need a Savior that before He overcomes sin and death, He's proven to be obedient to all that God says. And then He must be able to satisfy the justice required for breaking the law. Even though Jesus never broke God's law, you and I have. And if we were to live, if we are to live, someone must then stand in our place and take our punishment. A human life for a human life. And this is what Jesus did. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. You and I are dead in our trespasses. But because of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was promised to save has come. He's lived in our place and then he died in our place and we're given the grace and the forgiveness of our sins. In faith, those of us who repent of our sin were given new life in Him. He was born showing Him to be a man. And yet it was no ordinary birth. He was born of a virgin showing Him to be God. He was crucified and He died and was buried like any man would be after that kind of torture and death. But He rose again and ascended to the Father and He shall return to judge the living and the dead. Only the Son of God does this. And Jesus Christ is the two natures of God and man. At Christmas, we celebrate His birth, but not His beginning. It was His birth that began the fulfillment of the obedience we need to be saved. And it leads ultimately to His death that accomplishes the payment needed for our redemption and His resurrection that allows us to overcome death and be brought to life. See, in in Christ's two natures is the grace and the love of God and the display of His glory. Because God became a man and never stopped being God, we are brought into union with Him in Christ. This is not just a union where you take two like substances and you bring them together. No, this is like combining oil and water. Like night and day. Jesus became both so that sinful people who are given eyes to see Him and hearts to love Him 
can now enjoy close personal fellowship with God. The divine plan was not just to forgive sinners of their sin, to take their place and remove their guilt. This plan was to completely change us, to transform us, to give us a new nature filled with His grace and His love and His holiness that's only in Christ. Because of Christ, the unapproachable throne of God, that glorious seat of the Most High, has become a seat of mercy. In this Advent season, we're reminded that it's God who came to us. We could never go to God under our own. He came as one of us, yet without sin. He cleanses us and He makes us whole. Gives us the fullness and the righteousness and love to receive faith and forgiveness and a relationship with God that can never be broken. For every person who looks to Christ and sees the God-man, the promise of grace and forgiveness is fulfilled. So I leave you with this question. What do you think of the God-man? Who is the Christ? Whose son is He? Was Jesus just a man? Is He only God? Or does He have a dual nature as the Son of God and the Son of Man? The only one who could ever accomplish the divine plan to bring you to God. He's the one who came as one of us, yet was God in every way. You see, His humanity identifies us with Him. As the Son of Man, He's the perfect man who is the Messiah. He did what no other person can do. Because He's the Son of God, we can put our trust in Him. In Him is everything that you and I need. It's not found anywhere else. Nothing outside of Jesus will ever satisfy you. Nothing beyond Jesus will atone for your sin. Confess Him as God and Savior, and you will be saved. Let's pray.